Welcome to the Metaverse Podcast. My name is Noah Kravitz. This is episode number seven coming up on the program, a conversation with Amir Bozorgzadeh. Amir is co-founder and CEO of Virtualeap, a company that is using virtual reality to address issues around cognitive health. Virtualeap's product is called Enhance. It's a VR app with a library of brain training games. As you'll hear in the conversation, they're up to 15 strong uh, as of our recording this. The games are designed to test and train various cognitive skills, including memory, problem solving, spatial orientation, and motor control. And what I find really interesting, uh, there are a couple of things that I find really interesting and very cool about this. First of all, everything's science-based. So it's all based on neuroscience and, and neurocognition. Um, and also, it takes advantage, it being enhanced, Virtualeap's uh, apps, take advantage of some of the special qualities of VR, some of the things that happen when a person is immersed in a VR experience and the way that their brain processes the stimulation and everything that's going on allows things to happen that don't happen outside of the VR. And so one of them is that pain receptors are, I think Amir uses the word suppressed, but something happens to people's, you know, um, experience of pain that allows them to experience less of it or sort of move, move past it and do things that they wouldn't be able to do outside of the virtual reality experience. And so in this case, you know, it's taking advantage, Virtual Leap is taking advantage of that to help people address issues and kind of build mental strength to address these different cognitive uh, challenges. I, as you'll hear in the conversation, I have a little bit of a background working on some similar things myself. Um, not a certain neuroscientist by <laughs> by any stretch. I was kind of more doing the technical end of things. Uh, but so it's an area that I'm fascinated by, and obviously it's really important. There's there's no better use for technology than to help um, people improve their well being uh, and and all of the good things that come out of that. And I think Amir's philosophy and virtually his approach, as you'll hear in the conversation, is really on point in a number of different ways. Another thing I really like is um, Amir's, how he describes short-form VR and the idea that these apps are, these game experiences are designed to be short-form. So you're not in a VR headset for, you know, hours or all day. You're, you're in it, you do your training, it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is, but it's short and you're doing it every day, and it's like going to the gym, and that's how you build the muscle, and in this case, the muscle of the brain. Anyway, it's great stuff. Stick around to check it out. Uh, before we get to that, a little word if you're new to the podcast. Uh, Metaverse is an exploration of what's going on in the future of the internet. The Metaverse, Web3, all the related technologies around that, virtual reality, obviously, as in this episode, but also things that are being built atop the blockchain and kind of just where all of our technology is headed. So this is episode seven. And so far, the show has been something like a, a survey course. Uh, it's such a big content area. There's so much going on. And the web is so pervasive in our lives right now that any exploration of where the web is headed uh, can touch upon you know virtually all facets of life. And so, so far in the show, that's what we've been doing. This is the second episode touching on virtual reality and that concept of the metaverse as people think about it, you know, having to do with rich, immersive experiences in virtual reality, although that's not necessarily all of what the metaverse uh, 
may be or, or is or is becoming. There's a couple episodes on that. There are a couple episodes uh, related to the blockchain and using the blockchain to build experiences on top of it that leverage tokenization, NFTs, if you've heard the term, uh, but not focusing on some of the attention-grabbing headlines uh, for, you know, big dollar figure scale uh, sales, excuse me, of art related to NFTs or art tied to NFTs or some of the scammy behavior that's <laughs> that that's going on and has been reported on widely. Um, although if you're interested, you can read a little bit about the latest record-breaking blockchain heist, um, $600 million plus worth of assets stolen from the blockchain that underlies uh, a game, very popular game called Axie Infinity. You can read about that in last week's uh, post to the Substack newsletter at metaverse.substack.com. But this is not a show that's exploring, uh, you know, speculative investments and and NFTs in sort of the financial-centric sense. But instead, I had conversations with people who are building things using NFTs to orchestrate uh, gameplay and orchestrate communities that are self-governed and and that sort of thing. So there's an episode with the founders of BitTensor, a company that's building um, an open marketplace for machine intelligence uh, and really interesting stuff that can be applied to, I mean, virtually any type of marketplace, leveraging blockchain and Web3 technologies to do that. Uh, Conversation with Fastbreak Labs, Charles Dew, the founder of Fastbreak Labs, on their first product, the Virtual Basketball Association, a fantasy, fantasy basketball experience, um, and a conversation with Dr. Alan Cowan from Hume AI and the Hume Initiative, uh, who are, Dr. Hume is an emotion scientist, and we talk about the uh, growing ability of AI systems, of artificial intelligence, to detect human emotion and respond in kind. And what that means, <clears throat> what that means to digital assistants now, like Alexa and Siri and voice command systems that a lot of us use, but what it might mean going forward when these assistants turn into, you know, fully rendered 3D avatars that you can talk to and interact with in the metaverse. Um, it, it's fascinating stuff. And I think Part of what I'm trying to do with the show, and at least from my standpoint, I've been able to do so far, is get in depth with some of these people to find out what it is that's driving them to create those experiences and to create them using these new technologies and how they hope to advance the art form, so to speak, of what they're doing using these Web3 technologies in ways that can't be done right now uh, in Web2, as we call it. Anyway, this is all sort of a plug, but also kind of an introduction for anybody who's new to the show. Go check out the episodes posted to date. Uh, they're evergreen, so to speak. They're, they're not current event type things. Some of them we talk about current events, but I think you can listen to them at any point and kind of get a taste of not just the technologies in play, but how they're being used. Okay, enough out of me. Let's get on to it. Amir Bozogzada of Virtual Leap on the Metaverse podcast. All right, let's welcome Amir Bozorgzada to the show. Amir is the CEO and co-founder of Virtual Leap. They are doing brain training in VR. I'm going to leave it at that and let Amir uh, speak to what his company is doing. Amir is joining from, I guess it's rainy today, right, in Lisbon? It's an unusual rainy, rainy week. At this 
March and April typically is the, is the rainy months of, of uh, Portugal, but it's it's been pouring cats and dogs. Well, we appreciate you uh, taking the time and, and ducking out of the rain to, to speak with us. Tell us about Virtual Leap. You know, I before I got into the virtual reality space, I I um, and that was around 2015. I began writing uh, quite a bit for VentureBeat and TechCrunch, uh, just trying to understand the space and, and where I wanted to get into. And I figured out maybe halfway through that period, um, around 2017, that the the critical use cases for VR are either in healthcare mm-hmm. or education. That was right. my my point of view as as you know my journey of understanding it. Everything else is nice to have, but um, and so I, I, we entered a, a space specifically the, that kind of intersects both in healthcare and education from my point of view, um, from the training side or from the rehabilitation or therapeutic or diagnostic side. Um, we are basically as a company translating many of the standardized, most well-known neuropsychological assessment tools and therapeutic kind of tools into virtual reality games, what we call closed loop design games, games that you essentially level off at, uh, at the level that your performance or capabilities in a specific cognitive domain okay. can plateau you. And so we have a library of these games we've created to test and train a range of cognitive abilities that can ultimately be used for people um, wanting to be their mentally fittest or to address their ADHD or to um, monitor their cognitive fitness when they have, let's say, a neurological disorder, maybe uh, due to COVID that we're increasingly seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but where we gravitate very much towards is cognitive decline and how do we use emerging technologies combining with the neurosciences to address you know, these scary cognitive illnesses. So uh, maybe you can walk us through, um, and you know, this is audio format and you guys are working in, in the most immersive of technologies, right? Multisensory. So there'll be a little bit of translation here, but walk us through what an experience might be like uh, for somebody who's, who's trying virtually for the first time. One of the most important things about our category of serious gaming is we try to do, you know, we try to create games that aren't maximizing session length or maximizing addiction. That's the opposite of what we try to do. We, in fact, I try to describe it sometimes, maybe I use this analogy too often, um, but it's like, you know, a spoon full of sugar helps the medicine go down, Mary right. Poppins kind of thing, where it's like brushing your teeth as a, as a kind of experience. So our games are as fun as they can be from the point of view of a, of a neuropsychological assessment that's disguised in a gaming format. <laughs> You know, and so when you come in and play our game, some of the games might float your boat, some of them may not. And it really has to do with the fact that all these games are specifically targeting these very nuanced um, uh, cognitive functions. Like we're not just targeting memory, we're targeting short-term memory or long-term memory or working memory or episodic memory. And everybody from the point of view of what we know in our company, as well as general kind of typologies or psychology uh, attempts of typologizing uh, people. Everyone's a caricature. You know, someone's overdeveloped in one particular cognitive function or two at the expense of other ones typically. And what happens right. is when you play a game that's actually touching on your Achilles heel, some challenging area that you love to ignore in life yeah. uh, <laughs> and just think you're so special in this one area. But if you play one of our games, it's a random. You might play one of our games that is in the area that you're really good at. And then you're like, oh, I love this app. 
And then you start playing the games that are touching on your really bad functions or weaker functions, right. and you might dislike it. So when someone comes and plays our app, they're going to see that, you know, there's there's a real research focus in the design of it. It's like we're, we're asking ideally for people to give us some other demographics. Everything's designed in a HIPAA compliant GDPR, uh, you know, ridiculously encrypted, well-structured data infrastructure that keeps your data private because everyone's, right. you know. Yeah, it's important. Honestly, yeah, it's so important to, to be worried about these things, but um, they'll see like a questionnaire of that and they'll say, what's going on here? They're asking for a lot of information, but then they start playing our games and then, then they start playing games they like some that are really curious, some that are really annoying. Oh my God, I never want to play that game again. But that's the kind of experience we're trying to show is that we're kind of like a, from a certain point of view, a gym for the mind. We're, you know, each one is targeting a specific cognitive function. And what we're trying to do is give you a landscape of where you're good at, where you're bad at, and, and the tools for perhaps to become more wholesome. So do users typically come in on their own kind of as a consumer or do they come in, you know, referred by a healthcare professional of some sort? So at this early stage and meaning we've, we've been operating for about four years and only last summer did we come out of stealth, technically speaking from a, Got it. Okay. Of, you know, when you're a brain training company, you have to have a certain library. My, my CTO was like, why couldn't you have asked me to do a company like an esports company or a one product company? Why did we have to create a library of games before we can actually introduce this product in full form. Because you need enough of these games that you get an accurate representation right. of an individual's cognitive landscape. Um, and so we came out relatively recently out of stealth and began commercializing from a B2B point of view. So we actually have an enterprise platform that has a lot of uh, companion applications for telehealth, for running for clinical studies, these kind of things. And that's where our basis, our business model is. Meanwhile, our app has always been, even through the alpha days, the beta version, the full release, for the last two years, has been on, on SideQuest and then App Labs. We're available on most of the major app stores. We get about 50 to 150 registrations per day, and we don't market. They just find us. We're not even on the official Quest store, even though Quest users are about you know, 95% of the people who come in. So they have to oh, like literally yeah. right. swim through and find out and referrals through the grapevine. Right. But the, but the sales on the B2B side, that is much more of a direct sales kind of effort. So when I come in, do I need to know, um, you know, well, I, I, I have ADHD tendencies. And so I'm going to look for, you know, the experiences on your platform that, that can help me with that. Or do I take sort of an assessment at first and then, you know, your software kind of directs me to what I need? How does that work? So the first thing we did is we created this library of the brain, you know, you know, the new, the way to describe them as brain training games, you yep. could call them, you know, uh, neuropsychological assessments that have been gamified for daily monitoring of your cognitive. Yeah, fitness. but you're not, you're not going to get as many people willing to sideload to play those. So you got to use a marketing <laughs> yeah, exactly. term like brain training and brain training assumes it's going to be good for you, which is something that's progressively being proven, but it has yep. not been conclusively proved yet. Right, right. Um, but yet we still use this term because it's so popularized. Um, but these games in and of themselves are not assessments. They can be for monitoring because once you plateau in your scores, you'll basically see whether if you sleep poorly or if you're doing something in your life that has a lifestyle impact on your cognitive fitness or your well-being, you will see it in the scores. We can see it in the scores um, literally that um, those types of things can have an impact. However, we are about to release in the next couple months the alpha version of a standalone one-time assessment module that will also be part of the okay. same app. And yep. this thing can only be done, it's about 30 minutes to complete, 20 to 30 minutes. 
and you can only do it every three months. It gets locked out. So it's oh, more okay. of a snapshot every right. three to six months. Whereas these games are more for just playing them, making sure you play all of them and you have a full landscape of your cognitive fitness, your mental fitness. So it doesn't have a very, um, what is it? Prescribed root or narrative at the moment. Right. And so how long does a typical user or maybe even an ideal user uh, spend in virtually, you know, daily or weekly or whatever the measurement is? You have to be a pretty hardcore player at the moment to be, you know, constantly coming in. You have it for a reason. We get emails of someone who says their son had a, a brain uh, a injury of some sort or, or a head trauma, and they're using it for a real serious purpose. And those are the types that we see regularly, constantly coming in. Uh, what happens is there's a lot of challenges when you create a game like this, which we have a game scoring system called the Enhanced Performance Index. And we need you to play that first time you play the game. You have to play it about two to three times longer than any second time you play that game because we need right. you to play it long enough that you plateau to your correct level. Otherwise, when you play it the second time, you can show an improvement that wasn't really an improvement. It was the, right. the first yeah, yeah. time didn't right. go long enough. Because your baseline plateau. wasn't accurate. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So now we got like, you know, we're trying to create a, algorithms to create smart benchmarking that can detect when someone needs to jump to a more faster plateau. So we can shorten that first time session that we call the benchmarking session. Yep. We're talking about ways to accelerate the, the, the leveling because it also sees that you're doing it really fast. We're, we're trying to do really fun things to do that before we actually get more and more kind of visible in the public market or consumer from the side. Typically what happens is the first time a user is coming in, they're playing each game for these two to three times longer, like six to eight minutes each game. And that's, that can be off-putting to some people if they're not serious about the purpose of this, these exercises. If they get past that, that initial hump, then each game takes about two to three minutes. And a daily cognitive workout is a maximum of 15 minutes a day. It's kind of Got like it. a you know, gym right. for the mind, like I said. Right, right. Yeah, this is, this is you're going in, you're getting your workout. You're not putting on the headset and, you know, entering, uh, the, the metaverse. I'm going to use the word once, at least in the podcast, you're not putting it on and entering the metaverse and, you know, living your, your second life over there, so to speak. And I'm really, uh, an, uh, an advocate for short form VR. Yeah. I, I just don't personally believe in virtual reality, at least not the version that we have with, uh, you know, lenses stuck on our eyes for, for longer than 20 minutes. I mean, when it comes to AR, that's pervasive for sure. The beauty right. of that with 5G and all that magical stuff. <laughs> I'm, definitely, I'm definitely with that. But VR, I believe under 20 minute sessions is what I believe. And even regardless of what we create in general is what I would think the technology is for. It's for short, sweet, intense surgical experiences to help you transcend the human experience in some shape or form through time and space, you know, all right, that, right, that, right, that right. jazz. <laughs> right. Um, so let's get into a little bit, if we could, to, to how the games are developed. And I don't mean, you know, in terms of what your secret sauce is, so to speak, but are these... Um, we were talking, uh, you know, before we hit record, we were talking, and, and I've dabbled a little bit in, in some of this stuff um, in a project I was doing a couple of years ago. And then the the first guest uh, on Metaverse, a woman named Nania Reeves has a company called Trip that's doing mindfulness experiences and other similar experiences in VR. And so she was talking about um, creating uh, generative content, right? So it's not all sort of pre-made content that you know, each user goes in and has kind of a similar thing, maybe with some, you know, different forks in the road in the game experience, whatever, but there's a lot of, you know, content mm. being generated. 
how does virtual leap approach creating the actual content you know uh visually the audio is a big part of it i know in terms of the actual gameplay all that kind of stuff when it comes to you know categories like wellness and if you really are in wellness like meditative experiences or ones that are even meditative to begin with and then you know broaching into the area of psychedelics which is just right. en- yeah. endless quagmire of of what that even means but very cool very yeah. awesome <laughs> right. like godspeed to what you're doing I, I i only endorse it however when it comes to our kind of technology that is very much more uh, uh regulated at the end of the day at the, at the true north where we're pointing is to you know clinical validation being applied for you know the next as the next gold standard of cognitive assessment mm-hmm. uh standardized neuropsychological assessments should be us um uh vol- the volumetric data sets that we're capturing about two hundred fifty thousand uh data points every every two minutes all of these things create so much need for regulation of how we do things the yeah. best practices of what a you know a data uh, collecting company of this nature, um, you know, is behooved into into properly implementing. However, when we're creating these things, we're also having to keep in mind that we need to be um, keeping in mind that we're going to be used by people with uh, at, at risk groups, people with uh, you know mild cognitive impairment, people with brain injuries, people who have chemo brain, people um, in clinical validation who are using it, even for uh, cases like uh, autism. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and severe learning um, dysfunction. So accessibility design is right at the core of every, everything we create. We have a accessibility design expert right in the beginning, ensuring that we are taking into account how does the game have all the accessibility settings for colorblindness, for increasing and changing the color sets to the to the font sizes, to the game actually being able to adapt to whether you're mobility restricted in a wheelchair versus standing. All of these things are so critical. And then we work with partners like the Pacific Brain Health Center to do tolerability tests to ensure that what we created is not uh, putting any, you know, obvious uh, faults in terms of the design, um, in terms of any of the, maybe there's a person with a certain type of psychiatric um, uh, condition. We have to keep into mind all these things when we're designing and working with our partners all the way to releasing the game first in beta. And it's very clearly in our, in our app uh, labeled as a beta. And then once we see users testing it and we really see that it's, it's a viable game, we go into full release of it or prepare for it. So there's a multidisciplinary collaboration of accessory design with the neuroscientists, then the game designers, and then the game developers, about four different titles. And now we're trying to bring on board um, some people who are critically needed like uh, data scientists, and machine learning experts, but they all are coming into the soup of making games that are maximally accessible and ensuring maximum comfort for the user. I'm speaking with Amir Bozargzada. Amir is the CEO and co-founder of Virtual Leap, a um, company that is building brain training games. That's kind of the, the simplest way to say it. there's a lot more to that as we've, we've been talking about, but they're building brain training experiences, games in VR to, to help people with uh, a, a range of different cognitive issues and people who just want to work on their mental fitness and, and all sorts of things, leveraging VR technology to really, you know, help people get healthier, improve themselves. Um, but in kind of a safe to say, sort of a science backed with an eye on, on regulation, as you said, to kind of become the, what was, what was your, uh, what you said you want to become the, the standard for cognitive assessment? 
gold standard for cognitive assessment and therapeutics in terms of, you know, like you look at companies like Lumosity that did brain training in 2D Mm -hmm. and what they did is they put the cart before the horse and their marketing team decided to, I don't know, not, not consult with their science team and started making some claims that need years and years of proper peer reviewed studies and those other peer reviewed studies triangulating the same findings. That's the way you do things. And, you know, I'm, I'm a you know late 30s. I want to be able to sleep at night properly. So with a company like this operating it, you have to put the science always first, and it's always science driven, especially when it's virtual reality. And there's an order of magnitude more data being collected, more opportunities happening because everything's ecologically valid and multisensory, and it, it's just such a profound opportunity to do things correctly. But if you do something wrong and you're the first one who's doing it, and you make that that stamp of, of um, uh, notoriety uh, for that category, um, you do a disservice for that whole sector. Um, so so it, is, it is really important and critical for us to, to not put the cart before the horse. You wanna, um, you wanna talk hardware for a second? I, I, back in the day, you know, I covered mobile phones for a long time and up until the point where, you know, the iPhone came in and sort of revolutionized everything slash made it boring with, you know, just a, a piece of hyper touch responsive glass it was all about the hardware for me, right? Like how many buttons you need, where do you put them, all that kind of stuff. The the bits that I know about VR, and a couple of years ago, I knew a little bit more than I do now, so I'm sort of playing catch up. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, previously this idea about, you know, when we when we get to AR, or we have a, some AR now, but as AR advances and, and everything's sort of all pers- persuade, pervasive, excuse me, that's one thing. But strapping the lenses onto your head now is kind of a different sort of short, intense thing. How how is the VR hardware itself advancing? And also I'm thinking in terms of data collection and eye tracking. Eye tracking is the thing that I'm sort of keyed in on as being kind of this next next wave. And, and it may be a wave that's already, you know, you guys are all riding it and you've known about it. But this thing that is, you know, coming a little more into the public uh, public eye in terms of something that can increase experiences. And obviously with the kind of work you're doing, capturing more data points that then can be you know, sort of comb through for insights to help advance, you know, in your case, human cognition. Um, but things like three degrees of freedom, six degrees of freedom, and the different platforms and eye tracking and, and feedback in the controllers and all this stuff. What's kind of your take on the state of VR hardware, you know, sort of now and, and where it's headed? Well, thank goodness, post-COVID or even right before COVID, 3 off headsets were disbanded and, you know, thank you for, for Meta, if I call them that now, right. um, for, for disbanding what is ultimately a glorified um, 360 viewer, not true VR. You know, for me, I was always that elitist in the VR community when everyone was going Oculus Go because they're just so accessible to mm-hmm. throw them around. They're so yeah. cheap. That's the whole point of why we're trying to get rid of these things. They're accessible, but accessibility is the opposite of what matters when we talk about the value for proposition the, of for, VR. For the, for the listener out there, Amir just held up his, his uh, cell phone when he said these things and started waving it around in a very dismissive sort of way. So he's, he's smiling, but it was a little dismissive. These are archaic. Um, when the, by the time we have spatialized technology, I, I, from my point of view, and the reason yeah. I say this is not because I drink the Kool-Aid every day of a VR founder, but you know, when we're talking about a virtual reality uh, uh, environment, we're talking about a, a UX that's ecologically valid is the, is the way I describe it. 
and it, it's the native UX of the human. So if you create a, a properly VR environment, and people were funny, my last article on VentureBeat before I just stopped writing is yep. it's actually people were surprised that older adults in senior living communities in nursing homes were actually early adopters of VR, especially yeah, right? in the U.S. Yep, yep. They're like, oh, no, they're Luddites. They don't like technology. No, because you have to learn what the UX is of these things. This is what yep. you have to learn. In a properly designed VR simulation, You, it's all intuitive. Right. And again, when your visual sense is seeing a dual reality, all the other senses um, follow through and believe that that reality is true. Your autonomic yeah. nervous system, your vestibular balance system, your proprioception, they all believe they're hijacked and tricked into believing this reality is true, which is, uh, no, you me- you mentioned some of your, your uh, work in the side of and research into uh, you know, pain management use cases for VR. And that's because the pain receptors in the brain, for some reason, dampen when you're in a VR simulation. Right, it's, right. It's, it, there's something profound going on here. We don't there get is, it. there is. And, and, and there's a, so much research. I mean, some people quote 5,000 uh, you know, papers out there. Some people say 8,000. Anyways, it's in thousands globally being published about these, simula- you know, these, these amazing uh, use cases, critical use cases that virtual reality has, but only if it's sixed off. And you can see how passionate okay, what's Yep. So for the audience, what's sixed off versus three off? Sixth off, six degrees of freedom is that you're in a, a virtual reality environment that is fully rendered, a 3D rendered environment that you are, as your body moves, the content is being interacted with that when, and vice versa. Versus right. a three off, you could be in a roller coaster ride and your body is not getting any haptic uh, feedback, uh, touch. None of the other senses are noticing that anything happening. So you get nausea because it was badly developed content and it's you're not moving and your body and mind are one thing. All the you know amazing Asian and Middle Eastern philosophers told us, told us that a long time ago. And you know, mind and body are one. And the human circuitry is evolved to interrelate many senses at the same time. And it's a very big um, idiocy amongst us creators when we try to take one and exaggerate so much, and then we right. end up having uh, nausea or something. Because right, right, right. You know, yep. in VR, I shouldn't have called them, you know, idiocy, but, you know, it's, 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 it's something we need to always take into account, especially in the healthcare VR space, because you can actually cause, uh, you know, some, not harm, but um, discomfort. M- mild discomfort or severe discomfort, perhaps? My, my <laughs> Hippocratic oath as a, as a you know, not a doctor, <laughs> but a VR healthcare creator uh, is to do um, no disservice to the, the, mystical beauty of this technology and what it can do in things like treating through exposure therapy, um, agoraphobia, uh, uh, in my case, phobia of heights, you know, right. uh, 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 you know, fear of, of little rodents and spiders, you know, these are amazing use cases that have been used and applied for at least uh, since the nineties, you know, our, our, our advisor is Albert Skip Rizzo of UCLA. Yep. You know, we talk with the, fo- the, the, the luminaries like Walter Greenleaf, who have been building this tech since the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what was it? Uh, Terrence McKenna was talking about it. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, all those groups were working on it, but it kept on going through these waves. And ever since clinics have been using it. So when it comes to us and the way we think about hardware, it has to be sixed off because that's the beauty of VR intrinsically. And if you have three off, which is three degrees of freedom, and that content has no connection with the human body, then it's uh, it's 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 not virtual reality in my definition of mm, it. Right. Um, and 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 one thing I want to mention is, um, 
the headsets right now, like my my go to is is the is the Quest uh, two. It's the the affordable one, the sexy one, the yep. the one that you can easily get your hands on. Yep. However, one of the headset providers that we are really working closely with right now is HP and their OmniSet device. Mm, and this okay. device has integrated physiological sensors. It has pupil dilation tracking. It has heart rate variability. It has skin connectivity coming up soon, I think. Right, right in the headset. A, right in the headset. Wow. And they have okay, yeah. AI and they have an AI learning algorithms that that actually. Uh, triangulates and calculates with these with these uh, biometrics to calculate your cognitive load and stress levels. Wow! Now, okay. literally, you know the person in real time if they're stressed out, yeah, if they're yeah, bored, yeah. if they're in whatever we define as flow state, if they're overwhelmed. This is now, but the problem is at the moment a lot of people don't have access to this outside of the B two B side because it's a you know uh, well over you know, a thousand dollars, but also tethered because they've got so much processing happening in it. Was, yeah. It's gotta be tethered. Right. But, but they're, they're working on a, a standalone and it's just like last year that came out. So HB Omni said, it's the one that we really focus on because take our volumetric data sets, take their physiological sensors, put yeah. those juicy no, right. things together. Right. Yep. Yep. Wow. That's fascinating. How does it, uh, not, not to make you an HP spokesperson here, but <laughs> <laughs> how does it calculate cognitive load? Is it doing sort of like a, a EEG type scan of the brain or is it all based on kind of, um, you know, heart rate and, and skin temperature and those sorts of things? The latter. So the latter, we've, okay. we, we've worked with companies like Kernel. We've created a modified Pico Neo 2 headset, for yeah, yeah. example, yep. with their with their nodes. And we looked at EEG. My opinion is EEG is just still noisy territory. You know, when I look at what HP's done, they've obviously, I am sounding like a, like a spokesman. Um, but the way that I see the tried and true methodology of taking these physiological sensors that they know have a correlation to a specific type of uh, stress level or a specific uh, type of, of, of cognitive uh, state. And then they take three of them and, and basically use them to you know, triangulate and even bring that exactness to you know, really good levels. I would take that any day over a technology that is still kind of you know, fuzzy. Right, right. Fantastic, but it's just uh, you know, in, that, in that Gartner cycle it's just a little <laughs> bit like three waves earlier that's not right that's not, right right that's not, like physiological sensors are not uh experimental at this right, stage right, you know? right. yeah. so i i prefer that and then what about for hand motion tracking are we still talking about handheld controllers or tracking actual hand motion through space I, you know you mentioned pico and it made me think of this is a while back now but there was a um i can't think of the name of it now but a sensor that was I saw it originally marketed as you know a USB thing as a way to control your computer right your laptop or desktop using hand you know hand motions motion tracking but then there was a way a sort of semi official way to get it to work with a VR headset to do kind of early just free hand tracking without controllers where are we at or, or kind of where are you at with um, you know the role of I guess input, right? Hand tracking and input in a VR experience. We have one exception. Um, we we okay, first of all, we we typically um, mono motion was it mono motion? I'm asking you a question, and interrupting, but I think it might have been no, 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 no. I, I I actually started switching my thoughts. I'm trying to remember too. But um, we use we use controllers um, primarily because we want to be applied for multiple headsets, not just yeah. one. And right. if we were okay. to use the Quest or focus only on the Quest, maybe we could really shift towards a, a, a you know, hand 
um, sensor uh, design in terms of input. However, we don't. And right now we really do focus on sometimes the images of your controller will show a hand. Like yeah, the, right. some of the games we have will actually have your fingers there and you pull the yep. trigger. Right, right. That's more for proprioception, if anything. But um, there's all of our games typically are designed first and foremost with controllers. Like we do have plans in the future, but only when all of the headsets that we want to um, you know, uh, support are equally right. as advanced right. as- Because you, you want to be able to provide and control the experience. We're agnostic. we're agnostic. Yeah. We, yep. Yeah. And it's just impossible until they, they catch up with some of the other providers, but, um, and, and some of them are buggier than others. Sure. And you just yeah. don't want to get into that situation. There's one exception for us, which is we have a partnership with uh, Penumbra. I'm not sure. A lot of times I'm talking to people about this company, Penumbra, and no one really is aware as mm-hmm. many as they should be. It's this very big, very successful healthcare medical uh, company that has just moved in in the last couple of years um, quite well into the healthcare sector of VR. And they have put together kind of a, a pretty great offering of three different um, headsets. And the first headset called the iSeries, we actually have created a version of our some of our games to be only gaze only in input. And that's oh, okay. of course, yeah. that's for like rehabilitation of people who have mobility restrictions. Yeah, yeah. Certain yep. kind. So we have, we are entering that space to some degree, but by and large, the main solution we have still is in the controller side yep. until the manufacturers, HMDs just, you know, catch up to where they need right, to be. Right. And so which platforms uh, is Virtual Leap and Enhance is the name of your, is that the name of the product or the library? It's the, it's the application that the has app the is library. Called, okay. So which platforms is Enhance run on right now? It's, it's the Quest is like, if we have to say the number of users that come in, it's like 95 to 98% come from, from Quest. Sure. Um, yeah. The Quest 2. I'm yeah. not even sure what's coming from Rift anymore. I haven't okay. checked that store <laughs> for a while. But yeah, we, yeah. We, we keep on supporting the Rift for, for, uh, because it's actually, it has reasons for why we yep. support it. Yeah. Um, but uh, we got the Neo 2 for Pico. We have the Vifocus Plus and the Vifocus Plus I. Uh, for HTC, we're thinking of uh, supporting the the Focus Three soon and the Neo uh, um, Three as well. Um, we support the the Valve Index, although I really don't. Uh, I, I'm not sure how many users come from there. Really, right. the, the most activity we see is by and large it's I mean, Quest. Yeah, Quest. Yep. Yep. You know, I I really do have one thing to say, and yeah, and the and I think the that point would be that there's a lot of people who will at their predictable times start to say, and especially journalists, they'll say VR is dead. And then they won't say what that even means because there's VR for business, there's VR for research and healthcare and education, and then there's VR for consumer. Which one do you mean? Do you mean VR for consumer, the mainstream? Which one's dead? They, you know, and and on their, you know, to their, to their, to their, I guess, point, VR has been coming up and down and up and down. And I think this is arguably the fourth or 4.5th uh, wave and right. why is it going to be sticky? Well, you know, one of the things is that I can, I mean, I'm just sure about it. It's not going anywhere, especially in the in the in the serious use cases of, of which our company is a part. Is because yep. one, COVID served as a real catalyst for greasing the wheels of regulatory bodies like the FDA, which just you know two years ago created a dedicated category for uh, for VR, medical extended reality. It's happening all across the world. Another thing that's really important to point out is that has also served as a catalyst for 
the pharma industry, which is just coming in very stealthily. But from what I know, my conversations, all of the big players in the CNS or neuroscience-based kind of drugs for Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or, or, or certain types of learning um, challenges, Achille Interactive being the first video game declared as medicine uh, just a year and a half ago, I think. That was like a moon landing kind yeah. of piece of yeah. news for the digital therapeutics world. And VR serves as the Rolls Royce of digital therapeutics. Right. So I would say anyone here who's listening and is kind of um, not really aware of what's happening, um, not sure how wild this is, how sticky it is in the market. I, I can promise you one thing, consumer market, I think will continuously be a very wild, uh, you know, uh, wild wild west sort of uh, sector and that's because the hardware iterations constantly like you know pulling the, the the ground beneath us shifting sands all that stuff but but the serious use cases will keep it um, kind of anchored and we're going to see a lot of amazing news these next few years excellent well for folks who want to dive in right now and at least you know find out what virtual leaps doing and maybe even uh, try and enhance for themselves where should they go give us a couple places online where people can go to find out more if you have any questions about anything, please shoot me an email at amir at virtualleap.com first and foremost. Our, our website virtualleap.com actually has a download section where you can see the different stores for the Quest, for example, which is yep. most likely what you have in, in your hands or your house. You will find us on App Lab. We haven't really gone for the main store until we fine tune a lot of the things. And we just released our, we're about to release our 15th game in a couple of weeks, which is now the final amount of games that we are ready to go and be oh, right on. excellent the broad right it took, a, it took us two and a half years to get here so um congratulations know, it's uh painful I, I think i have um pdsd from the experience but <laughs> um but I, you know we're thankful and grateful to be in this sector but if, if you have any questions please email me if you have uh want to connect with me on linkedin i am the i've been i think i've been on the user there for 20 years i don't know how long it's been now, but uh, uh, long enough. Like that's it. how we met. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a pleasure to be on, on your show um, and, and to speak with someone who has a genuine interest in the, in the core and critical applications of this technology, which is very, very beautiful and not, um, not, a, not a frivolous thing at all. I, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Amir, thank you for taking the time to come on and uh, you know, I'm hoping Right. Even if one listener out there, you know, reaches out to you and there's a connection, it makes it all worth it. So thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. All right. That'll do it for this episode of Metaverse. My thanks again to Amir from Virtue Leap. If you want to learn more about Enhance, their library of apps for neurocognition training, you can check them out online at virtualeap.com, V-I-R-T-U-L-E-A-P. We will be back next Tuesday with another episode. If all goes according to plan, we are going to dive in a little bit to cryptocurrency. Uh, it's not an investment show. This is not investment advice, but rather, how does it work? What is a cryptocurrency? How does it relate to fiat currency, the hard currencies that most of us are used to? What is the future of digital currencies? What does this all mean for everything from day-to-day -day life? Is it going to replace your credit cards? to political dissidents living in oppressive regimes who maybe can use cryptocurrencies as a way to escape censorship. I know, it's a little mind-bending to think about. That's why we're bringing in an expert, so stay tuned for that next Tuesday, Episode 8 
of the Metaverse Podcast. Until then, if you like the show, please take a moment, subscribe, rate and review, tell a friend, post it to your social media. That's how we grow. That's how we're able to keep doing it. Thanks for listening. My name is Noah Kravitz. We'll see you next time.